so much for joining us, as we have plenty of things to talk about in today's episode, which is episode number four, by the way. And yes, let's go ahead and get things underway. So, there is rumor about. And uh, let me just start out by saying, I'm not a huge fan of rumors, okay? Um... I don't like to spread rumors and things like that, but sometimes, occasionally, uh, it's just interesting to talk about. It makes for good conversation, right? So anytime that we go into stuff about rumors and things like that, I don't want you to take everything you know, so seriously. I don't want you to take it as fact, because most of it, if not all of it, is not fact. It's just that. It is just rumors, and, uh, well... If we portray it as anything else, it's just a lie, right? So, uh, I like to go into it anyway. Um, for instance, we've got some rumors about with the latest generation of gaming consoles, and that would be the PlayStation 4. Yeah, PS4. So, we kind of knew that this was going to be coming up sooner or later because we're approaching 10 years uh of PlayStation 3, right? So the next-gen consoles are are, are going to be coming into the conversation relatively soon here, if not uh, within the next few months, maybe next. After this holiday season, we'll probably start really ramping up conversations about it. We're going to hear more and more buzz about these consoles as we move forward. Uh, as the older consoles, like the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360, become a bit dated, uh, which they are starting to feel quite old nowadays. Uh, but nonetheless, they're still great systems. It's just a lot of times has passed. A lot of time has passed, and I think we're uh, already ready to start looking at some of the new stuff coming down the pipeline. There, so the PlayStation Four. Uh, we've got some news about it. Uh, I don't know if you want to call it news, more rumor. Um, the latest buzz that we have surrounding the PlayStation Four is suggesting that. The new gaming console will continue to support optical media, but will and and will do so obviously in the form of Blu-ray. I mean, come on, it's Sony, right? Um, but this was talked about for a while, and it's it's actually a big conversation because dropping optical media uh, is a controversial subject right now. It, it, it's kind of one of those things that I think most of us want to get away from it, but there are still a lot of us clinging on to it. I know we got a lot of backlash when Apple removed the optical drive from the new iMac. A lot of people were like, man, are you kidding me? How can you take away my optical drive? And I I didn't even think people would react to that, but because uh, I personally don't use my optical drive for really anything anymore. If I'm not using cloud storage, I've got 
uh, backup hard drives and things like that. I don't really, I really don't use optical media. I do a lot of digital downloads. I get my content. Yes, it can take a while to download things. Like if you have a game, a large game like World of Warcraft or something, and you need to re-download that. Yeah, that can be, um, that can be a little bit of time, you know, a bit time consuming, but. Nonetheless, I don't necessarily need the optical drive, so if I get a new computer or something and it doesn't have an optical drive, not that disappointed. But anyway, uh, back to the consoles, it's the same situation. We want to drop the optical drives in these things because, well, there's a lot of downloadable content. There's no game out there, or soon there won't be any game out there uh, that we can get in a store that we can't get online. Now, that does change things a lot. And it does change uh, the industry a little bit. Think about the used gaming industry. Think about that for a minute. There's a lot of companies out there that resell used games. And if you start removing optical drives, you're taking away you know, DVD-ROMs. You're taking away physical media. And you're taking away a big business. So uh, it's kind of a strange thing to think about. But yeah, that's that's a big deal. Um, the used game industry is huge. Uh, people are constant. I've I've taken a, a lot of games back that I used. To. In fact, I there was a there was a short time where I didn't have to pay for new games because I would just take my old ones in and build up store credit with these various stores that take used games, and I had a method going such that I'd never had to actually pay for a new title. And part that's partly due to the fact that I wasn't buying new titles uh, very frequently, but on a regular, I would say on a regular basis, but not, you know, I wasn't buying like a new title, two, three new titles in a month. Now, obviously that wouldn't work out, but I had it going for a good year where I didn't have to pay for a new game. And so it's a good business, and it would be completely devastated if Sony or Xbox, or both of them, completely moved away from optical media. So that didn't happen, fortunately, for that whole industry. Uh, well, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. I, remember, this is rumor that PlayStation 3, or I'm sorry, PlayStation 4 will have optical media, according to the rumor. So uh, there is a little bit of a twist to it. They are suggesting that each game that you buy will also be tied to the PlayStation Network account, your PlayStation Network account, and you will supposedly be unable to play them offline, which is kind of interesting too. Uh, I can see a lot of people not being so happy about that. Gamers will also supposedly be able to purchase and download any game directly from the PlayStation Network. Again, I think that's kind of... Uh, something that needs to happen universally, regardless if optical media exists or not. I think we need to have the option, at least, to download any game, I mean, any title that we want, online, so we can opt out of having optical media if we want to. And I think that would be a smart plan for companies like Microsoft and Sony, because then they could look and see the amount of users downloading content versus those who are buying actual physical media and they can kind of make an educated decision based on that information on whether or not uh, moving forward without optical media is a smart decision. So it works in a lot of ways.
The other thing that came up, another source reported that the new PlayStation 4 will also support 4K resolution and will be packing the AMD X64 CPU and uh, featuring a Southern Islands GPU in order to provide solid frame rates at the new massively large 4K resolution. The supposed code name for the PS4 project is Orbis. So, yeah, we kind of also would expect that the next generation of consoles are going to have to have something special about them. Because they're always something, you know, better graphics, that's always a given, right? Maybe a new way to control things, maybe a new controller, something like that, and some other bells and whistles, but along with that comes new capabilities, and, well, 4K resolution is something that, uh, which is, if you're not familiar with that, that's ultra-high-definition television. You can follow the link on the Geek with Envy website. You can type in the search there, UHDTV and search the website and that will take you to the article are you ready for ultra high definition television and you can read all about ultra high definition television if you don't already know about it uh, but basically it is a uh, much higher resolution than today's current HD so you're looking at screen resolutions for 4k for example we're looking at 2160p or 4096 by 2160 so that's a very high resolution and uh, you're gonna need you know, a great graphics chip on that, uh, in that unit in order to su support smooth frame rates at that size. So, hopefully they do support that. I think that would be pretty awesome to be able to play your PS4 on uh, screens over 80 inches large and still maintain a, a very crisp, high-definition picture. Uh, hopefully we're going to see movies also at that resolution, not just gaming. Uh, and hopefully the PlayStation 4 will support all of that. That'd be, that would be awesome. Sony is also planning on keeping backwards compatibility out of the new PS4, which is something that isn't new for Sony fans. So, yeah, not going back, or not being able to, to play old uh, PS3 games on the PS4. I don't know, I mean, you can always just keep the PS3, right? So, uh, again, uh, that, that doesn't really bother me too much. I don't know if it really bothers anybody else that much either. Just keep the old console if you really, really needed to play those older games. But uh, again, going by this 10-year uh, rule, if you want to call it that, PlayStation 4 should be making its debut in about three years. So we can kind of put a, a time frame on it based on that. So uh, as we start hearing more about the PS4, we will keep you up to date, as I mentioned in the article. So any news or buzz that I start picking up, uh, we'll try to throw it together in something half you know, interesting to read. That's basically all we have on the PlayStation 4 at this point. So, a couple of things on that, you know, there may still be optical media that probably going to use some form of Blu-ray, although I would argue uh, I don't know how the 4K format fits. Uh, if, if the 4K format will be, fit and, or will be added to the PlayStation 4, uh, but I would imagine it would be a, fee a good selling point for them to have that, it would be a feature that they'd want to talk about. And again, backwards compatibility, uh, probably not going to happen. Now again, these are all just rumors, so. So, Windows 8 users, early adopters, how are you feeling about Windows 8? How am I feeling about Windows 8? Well, to be completely honest with you, not bad. 
it's okay. I'm not blown away, but I'm not extremely disappointed at this point. Now, granted, we've only really gotten started with it, but I'm generally pretty happy with it. The thing is, though, as cool as the new tile system is and as pretty as it looks, I'm not using it all that much. I've actually found that I've been in the desktop environment more than I've spent in the tile environment. So I haven't really used the new UI that much. I did have one problem that I kept that kept reoccurring with the tile UI application for Netflix. For some reason, when I go to use Netflix in the tile UI, videos don't buffer. So or they buffer incorrectly. So basically I'll get like 10 seconds, 20 seconds, and then it just stops. And I can see my modem activity, I can tell that it's not trying to pull any more data and it just kind of locks up and I know it's isolated to the application because when I move to the web application when I when I go open up uh, Firefox and start playing it from there the video works perfectly it's only when I open up the, the Windows 8 application uh, then that's when I that's the only time that I have the problem so something strange is going on there but otherwise all the other apps seem to be working okay I've been utilizing the weather app and things like that, kind of tinkering around, trying the games, trying the Windows Store. and It feels pretty fluid. It feels pretty comfortable. Uh, but most of my time still spent on the desktop. So, I don't know. Maybe that's, that's going to happen, I guess, because we really don't have all the applications that we need in the new UI yet there's still a lot of legacy applications out there that haven't quite migrated to the Windows 8 style yet so for now I guess I'm gonna be living in the desktop environment for a while but as far as everything operating smoothly it's been doing just that operating smoothly everything's been fine so happy with that and as I was using Windows 8 I thought boy there's uh, probably some useful things here for people who do not have a touchscreen interface to use Windows 8 with. And what would that be? Well, besides a trackpad, well, shortcuts. And that's one thing that we did post on the website. So if you haven't had a chance to get there yet, check out, it's one of our recent posts, it's Guide to Windows 8 Shortcuts. If you do not want to look at the front page, you can go right to the, uh, or look through the front page for articles, you can go right to the search box and type in Windows 8 shortcuts and that should direct you right to our post uh, which is pretty cool we've got quite a list of Windows 8 shortcuts keyboard shortcuts here to help you along some of the most useful ones may be the charms controls so we've got things to help you we've got key commands to help you access the charms bar access the settings charm the share charm the devices charm so charms are obviously a very integral part of the new UI. They are what help you navigate through the new UI. They're what help you search through your applications by using the charms. So obviously you'll benefit from having a shortcut to that without having to sling your mouse over to the right and wait for the menu to pop out. You can just press two buttons and you've got access to the charms bar. Uh, for instance, to get the charms bar to show up, you can hit press the Windows key simultaneously with the C key, 
If you want to access the settings charm, you can do the Windows key with the I key. To share, you can do Windows key H. And to access your devices, you can do Windows key and K. Now this is a pretty extensive list. We've got uh, many different key commands on here. Some of these were also used in previous versions of Windows. And uh, take a look at the list, even if you're pretty familiar with some of the stuff. Um, if, if anything, for the charms controls, definitely check it out for that. But go ahead and scroll through that list and just check some of that stuff out, because there may be something in there that you've never seen before or didn't know there was a shortcut for, and that could be really helpful. So uh, definitely jump in and look at that. So, moving on into outer space, back into space, right? A new photo came out from NASA and in the last few days, and it is a portrait, or a self-portrait, basically, of Curiosity, the Mars rover that's currently up on Mars. And it has to be my favorite picture that's come back so far. One, because I can see Curiosity in super high resolution, which the image I originally posted in the post is not the high-res image. If you look, though, in the first, uh, first sentence there, there is a, or in the first paragraph at the end, there is a link to the high-resolution version of the image. I highly recommend that you check that version out. It will fill up your entire browser. It's a, it's a very large image and is extremely high detailed, highly detailed, and you can see everything in the picture with amazing detail. And at first glance, you go, okay, it's another shot from Mars, right? But when you really look at this thing in high res, it's, it's absolutely incredible. It got my imagination running wild. Now, that happens a lot. I get, I definitely get excited about all kinds of things, but this was cool, and I was definitely geeking out over this. Uh, I was looking at it, and I, I was just looking at the the sticker and all the electronics on Curiosity, and looking at the surface of Mars, and looking off into the horizon of Mars, and just thinking about how crazy that is. That we're looking at a picture of something we made on a completely different planet. Like, this isn't Arizona, right? This isn't some weird corner in a desert somewhere on Earth. No, man, this, this, is, this is a completely alien planet. And I look down into the dust and the dirt down there, and I'm just thinking, like, oh, man, if you just want to, like, dig, like, ten feet down and see if there's, like, any kind of weird bacteria or something that we just haven't seen, and it's, like, you know, living deep under the crust of the planet or the outer edge of the planet down in there, you know, like maybe a hundred feet, a thousand feet down. It's just places we haven't explored yet. There's got to be something in there. There's got to be something alive. I mean, it looks so familiar, right? This place, it looks like it could be a place in a desert somewhere on Earth, right? That's the thing that's crazy about the pictures. And I think that's why people look at these pictures and go, eh, all right, it's Mars. You know, okay, cool. We've seen these before. Because you look at it and your brain tells you, okay, that's somewhere around here. Even though you say it's Mars, it doesn't really sink in that it's another planet. Like, you never sit there and go, oh, man, this is Mars. This is a completely different planet. And you know how far... Mars is 
at its closest known approach was 34.8 million miles away. That's the closest that it's ever been since we've been recording that data, right? Most of the time, Mars is much further away, somewhere around 150 million miles away. It is a completely different rock in our solar system. It has nothing to do with us, so to speak. There's no human beings on this planet that we know of, right? There is basically, it's just a completely different world, as obvious as it seems, but nobody really stops and thinks about it. And I started doing it, and it made my head hurt. I was like, oh my god, this is crazy. But this picture is what inspired me. I, I haven't had that feeling quite like that until I saw this picture. Awesome picture. Awesome picture of the equipment. Awesome picture of the terrain. And awesome picture of the horizon. You've got three great uh, aspects to this picture that just make it awesome. And I go into a little bit, uh, go into how I feel about the picture and how it reminds me of things on Earth and how it really isn't. But yeah, it's a really cool place, and if you haven't seen the picture, definitely check it out. I hope to hear a lot more news from Mars in the future, and every time I get an update about it, I get excited. So, Anyhow, uh, this is another thing that I wanted to talk about, and I'm glad I'm getting a chance to throw this in the podcast, because I think it's one of those things where you kind of see... You can almost see how the future is going to turn out in a lot of ways. And I base that on things that are happening now in, in the world right now as we speak. And war is one of those things. Are wars of the future going to be fought by hackers? And it's one of those questions that says, well, I don't know. Would, how, how would that work? How could hackers be involved in war on a major scale. I mean, what could they possibly do to dominate another country? I mean, war is about what? Basically, you're dominating another country. Somebody wins the war, you sometimes, and when they win the war, they assume control, right? So, if war is a lot about control, and our world, which is more and more becoming more and more about technology, then people who understand technology the most will have the most power and therefore will have the ability to take control. So yeah, it's absolutely possible that the wars of the future could be fought by hackers. Again, there's no doubt that we are becoming more and more dependent on technology. This is obvious in my day-to-day -day life. When things come up, when I get, uh, things come up from time to time where I have to maybe write a check for something. And I think to myself, wow, that's just like living in ancient times. Why the hell would I want to write a check for something? Do I do I even own a checkbook? Where Where is my checkbook? Hang on one second. Let me... Is my checkbook? Do I have a checkbook? Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> oh, here it is. Right? Let me dust this thing off really quick. Let me let me write out a check. Jeez, oh, man, what are we in a caveman days over here? No, seriously, I, I haven't wrote a check in a very long time. 
I've been doing everything through my debit card. I do pay all my bills online. I've gone paperless for pretty much everything. And when you think about that for a little while, it kind of makes you vulnerable. It really can make you vulnerable because now, with all your information out there in the digital world, if someone is smart enough to interrupt those services and interrupt your access to those services that keep your life going, that can really mess things up. And you would virtually have almost little to no control over that. And that would be terrible, right? And we don't think about these vulnerabilities too much because we kind of just go with it. It's just what everyone's doing. It makes sense. It's super convenient. I love it. And seldom do I really think about how protected are we really. Especially if we were to be attacked by a large group like, a, like another country with an army of hackers, so to speak. Would they anybody be ready for that? I don't I don't think so. So it makes you wonder, you know, warfare today, for instance, still employs manpower to get things done. Our soldiers are on the ground and they have a very important job to do. They're on the ground and in the air and in the seas, right? They're on the seas and in the seas. They're everywhere. So we still have the human aspect of war, but the battlefield today is much, much, much different than it has ever been before. Robotic technology is being used not only for surveillance, but it's also used in weapons. If hackers were able to get a hold of these systems and get into them, I mean, imagine how disastrous that could be. Think about GPS systems, even. Major data centers. And think about how that would impact the intelligence community, and then eventually it will affect the troops on the ground because, yes, we do have men and women, armed men and women, out there on the ground, in the ships, on the ships, okay, fighting the good fight, but they rely on technology to get the job done. It's a part of their toolkit. So it's very important to pay attention to this kind of stuff and to be prepared for attacks, future attacks, even if we haven't even seen anybody trying to attack the military, you know, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be preparing for that because somebody else is already planning to do such damage, unfortunately. People, you know, set out to do these things. There's probably already groups being established that have, you know, ill intentions. Now imagine a scenario where the military and businesses of a particular country, so not just the military, but the businesses too, are suddenly, without warning, under attack. The economy could crash. Banks and businesses can be systematically shut down. And what's scary about all of that is that hackers are already threatening to do this. They're already talking about doing these kinds of things. Small groups of hackers, usually brought together under one particular cause, are often decentralized and therefore extremely difficult or near impossible to track down. 
A digital assault could come from anywhere in the world, and when one individual gets shut down, another one can simply take his or her place. Our digital world can essentially be held hostage until demands are met, and there needs to be some serious thought into how to avoid such a tragedy. So, can I say for certainty that we're not doing this? No. I'm sure our country has already, our government has already started establishing these things and probably has already had some type of defense system in place and for years now. But we don't really know. And the messed up thing is, <laughs> a lot of times we don't find out how prepared we are until something actually happens. But my point here is that these things are already happening. So I think in a lot of ways that's proof that it's only going to get worse and that we only need to prepare that much more. Denial of service attacks, a very basic attack, but it's very effective. Denial of service attacks have already been underway and have seriously impacted large banks like PNC, Wells Fargo, U.S. Bank, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan Chase. These are huge banks. And their sites have become completely unresponsive, super slow, or just absolutely unusable, denying access to millions of customers. For these banks, online access is just impossible to get to when these denial of service attacks are happening. And they're not just coming from, you know, the kid in the basement. I mean, they're coming from groups, these hacktivist groups, that have major resources and are capable of doing serious damage. And they have very, very straightforward motives. And they're just going to employ these motives. And, my God, it's, uh, it's a little scary. But I believe that, yes, we will undoubtedly be fighting some type of digital warfare in the future. And we hopefully are staying ahead of the game and protecting ourselves and getting a couple of hackers on the good side, fighting the good fight out there. Because it's only a matter of time that this stuff really starts to escalate. It kind of, in a, in a way, has already has. I mean, these attacks have gone out and... They're going to continue to go out. So the best thing we can do is uh, take a proactive approach in defending ourselves and not just wait for the big attack to happen because I'll tell you what, when that big attack happens, you're going to want to minimize the damage as much as you possibly can. So a little food for thought there, you know, just to get you thinking about that kind of stuff to think about where we're going when it comes to the future and how wars can be fought can be totally different. I mean, they already are in a lot of ways now, but wow, interesting stuff to talk about. Well, hopefully we're getting, hopefully again, we're preparing for that and we just don't know a whole lot about it, which would be a good thing because we're probably not supposed to know what kind of techniques are being used and things like that, because I guess you'd be giving a lot away, but not too often that we hear about a group of superhero hackers on fighting the good fight for the good, for the good guys, right? 
but uh, hopefully they're out there. If they're not, oof, be a little scary. Anyhow, moving on, something came up. Something came up today, actually, and I thought it was pretty interesting. I read a lot of news. I I uh, read a lot of different websites. I actually, go out. I read magazines and things like that too. I check emails. I check different blog sites and things like that. And I try to get together all the information that I can to find out what's going on out there in the world, and then try to voice my opinion on it. And one of the things that came up uh, from Bloomberg was that Apple was taking serious consideration, or at least they had heard that Apple, more rumors, right, was taking serious consideration into dropping Intel going into the future. Now, Apple has been extremely successful when it comes to developing their own chips, like the new dual-core A6X. Awesome processor. These mobile processors work really well, and they're all made in-house. And it only makes sense I think that Apple would feel that eventually they would be able to cram enough power into these chips to start using them in their desktop lineups and in their laptops. Now I can kind of see that happening, but when I really stop and think about Apple versus Intel, man, I don't know. I mean, Intel is is Intel is Intel. They are really really good at making chips. It's what they do. The i7 is an incredible powerhouse. It is the world's fastest processor. It is absolutely amazing. The i7 and today's i7 is absolutely amazing and it just is hard to imagine that Apple could match that quality you know, Intel's been around for a long time, and they've been making processors for a long time, and they're really good at it. And to think that Apple could match that, you know, I mean, I, I'm not putting Apple down by any means. They obviously uh, can make amazing mobile devices. They obviously make great hardware. I'm not contesting that. I'm just saying we're talking about Intel here, and we're talking about replacing Intel here. You know, Apple, again, you know, remember, this is the same company that in 2005 took Intel and said, hey, we want you to put your chips in our computers because you are the best. And they knew it. And so it's one of those things that's just mind-boggling to think, man, that's really going to drop Intel? And then you say, well, maybe Apple can do it. Maybe Apple can make the chips work, but should they? That's a whole nother question. Can they? But should they? You know, it's 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 a really interesting question. It really, you can see why I had to write about this and why I had to talk about this. I mean, it's just one of those things that it's very engaging. It makes you jump in and go, "Wait a minute, though." There's a lot of different directions we could go here. There's a lot of different effects that this can have on the industry. I mean, Intel right now, major chip provider for millions of PCs out there, well, the PC isn't selling very well right now. The mobile market's dominating. 
you've got Apple selling the number one selling laptops. It's kind of like, geez, there's a big shift going on out there. And Intel needs to have all the business they can have on one hand. And on the other hand, they're also making the best stuff out there. So why would we want to drop them? Why would we want to move away from them? These people are brilliant. So, interesting. The idea here, at least the motivation on Apple's behalf, would be, and I think it's apparent, that they're trying to create, and they've mentioned this over and over again, that they're trying to create a seamless experience across their entire product lineup, which basically means they're trying to make their mobile products more like their desktop products and laptops, and vice versa. Now this isn't unique to Apple, Microsoft is trying to do the same thing. They want everything to be seamless. They want you to be able to set your tablet down and then pick up where you were on your tablet and on your desktop. And one way to make that even better, or to achieve that seamlessness, is to have the same chip architecture on each device. Because then you're programming them exactly the same. And then they start to really become the same thing. They really start to become the same experience just on a different size device. So it makes sense that you would want to put in similar chip technology. And it also makes sense that a company would want to make its own in-house chips. I mean, especially Apple. That's what they want to do. They want to be Apple. They want to put everything Apple inside this thing. But how does that affect the Apple community? How does that make you feel as a customer who wants to buy Apple products? I mean, a big thing about Intel is that people want to see the Intel inside in their Mac computers. It gives us confidence in that product's capabilities. It's a name that we have grown to trust over the years. It's Intel. We know Intel. We know to expect quality from Intel. So that alone is an interesting thing to think about, is how will the community react? Another thing is what about the software? What about Windows? What about Microsoft products? What about Microsoft software? One of the cool things about Mac hardware is you can run anything on it, right? Isn't that the whole thing? You can put Windows on a Mac. So, will it be able to will you still be able to do that if Apple makes their own chip? When Intel's if Intel was to be ousted from Apple products, would would you still be able to use Windows? Kind of weird. Would software have to be re-engineered? How would that work? A lot of applications now are taking major advantage. Major, all the applications are taking major advantage over the Intel being inside a Mac. Okay, that's a huge thing. So what are they going to do? Are they going to have to redo everything? Are they going to have to restructure everything for this new chip? I don't know. Maybe not. Then what about performance? Are you really, how, they're going to have to be amazing. Because when you start talking about Apple products, 
we're not, and you start moving away from the iPad, and you start moving away from the iPhone, and you get into the the meat and potatoes of Apple, and I don't mean that financially, because obviously the mobile market is is huge for for Apple, but what I mean is like the serious computing power for Apple, and that's their laptops, the MacBook Pro, the heavy hitter, the Mac Pro. Okay, that's the workhorse for Apple, the Mac Pro and the MacBook Pro. These are systems that people rely on to run major applications like Adobe Photoshop, Final Cut Pro, and me, I can't imagine all that running on an Apple CPU. It's just like, this thing has, unless it's absolutely phenomenal. And it's one of those things, it's like, you know Intel's going to be there for you. They already are. Why walk away from that relationship? I think that's a great relationship to have. And already I start feeling that odd feeling. It reminds me of... <laughs> It reminds me of the whole map software thing. Is this going to be a bad move, like abandoning Google and releasing an unfinished map product? Now we're just going to leave Intel and here's our chip. It's not quite what we, you know, thought it was going to be, but here it is, here it is, it'll work. And then it's just terrible. <laughs> I hope that's not the case. I hope they don't move to this. I... I don't know. I mean, it could be cool, but why? Why do it at all? You've got a great thing with Intel. Steve Jobs moving towards Intel in 2005 was a great move forward, a great leap forward for Macs, for Apple products, for Macs, okay? It was a it was huge. And the i7 is very successful. It works very well across the entire Mac lineup. And I don't see why you would leave such an innovative and powerful chip manufacturer because you want to make your own chip. I, I, I just don't see why. They're leading the world in chip technology. Unless you can get all those guys from Intel and just absorb them into Apple, I don't see why you would want to do that. I mean, you, you've got what you need, and they're going to continue to innovate and create new chips. So why? Just why would be my question. Now, these are unconfirmed reports. Uh, a lot of these coming from Bloomberg, again, was, uh, and they're from people, supposedly from people within the company that choose to remain nameless, and they talk about these products, or they talk about these so-called changes that Apple may or may not be thinking about doing, so... You know, it may have been a conversation. Are they, is it set in stone that it's going to happen? No. And again, it's just kind of buzz. And I just want to make that clear. Because, again, I'm going into the rumor rant again, but I don't really like rumors, but I think if we can talk about things intelligently, and we, you know, and I'm presenting it to you in a way that you absolutely know that it's not solid fact, but rather just opinion and hearsay, and then we can have a productive conversation about it. It's okay to theorize about things. I don't see what's wrong with that. I just, I'm never going to come at you with a rumor and say that it's fact. And I'm, yeah, I just, you just don't, I won't do that. I just don't do that stuff. And unless I absolutely 
can confirm it from the company themselves. I'm not going to do that. And that's, again, this is another rumor. So, again, interesting. I hope it doesn't happen, but it could. It absolutely could. I can kind of see that the way they're going, that they could want to do that. But again, I think Intel is a great company. Heck, uh, while we're at it, while we're on the topic of chips, AMD is a great company. They came out with uh, the bulldozer architecture. I know a lot of people were expecting more out of that. But AMD is um, still out there making great chips also. I haven't talked about AMD in a while, all this Intel talk, right? I know that uh, a lot of you guys are split down the middle on this, uh, or either one side or the other on it. A lot of Intel people, a lot of AMD people, I know that that gets pretty crazy sometimes. I personally, as I, I take the same stance I take with almost everything in the technology world, in the world of technology, I pretty much always choose whatever I like or happen to like the best, whatever works the best for me, whatever fits my pricing scheme, however you want to lay that out. I don't necessarily plant my flag with one particular company. It just unless I happen to like their products more at the time. But doesn't mean I won't pick it a for instance, I'll you know, maybe I'm using an Intel laptop. Actually I am using an Intel laptop right now. But I have an AMD desktop. Why? Because well it was the best thing I best choice for me when I was building my desktop. I use the uh, 965 AMD Phenom 2. It's a great processor. I have seen no reason to upgrade that. I've built I, that build is at least two years old now, maybe three. It might be th might be more than that. I don't know, but I've changed things. I've upgraded the motherboard recently. Um, I've upgraded other hardware, but the processor I haven't had to change. The 965's been amazing. It's a quad-core processor. It has everything I need for gaming. It has everything I need for the applications that I use on my Windows machine slash Linux. So, works really well. But, I use what works best for me. And I, you know, if I find that there's a trend with a specific company that they have features consistently that I like, or maybe they do something a certain way, I'll stick with them. But I don't absolutely block out and put blinders on and don't look at anything else. Well, this is the only company that makes sense. This is the only one that's the best. This They are the only ones. No. I give everything an honest shot, you know? Like with my iPad. This is a perfect example. I use my iPad all the time. I love the iPad. I think it's awesome. Have I not used other tablets? No, I've used all kinds of other tablets. I think I mentioned this before. I just happen to like this one the most. But it doesn't mean I'll never use another tablet. It doesn't mean I won't give it a shot. I just happen to like this one. So, yes, I'm always going to be a little biased. But, again, I try to keep it... I, I try to keep things fair. I try to look at everything that's out there. I can't help but look at everything out there because it's interesting to me. I want to know what makes this one different from that one and why this one's supposedly better than this one. I mean, it's part of what I do. Obviously, I write about this stuff, so I kind of need to know. But in a personal 
you know, even if I didn't write, if I didn't do this, if I didn't create blog content and podcasts and things like that, I would still, I, I still did. I mean, even before I did this, I still did the same thing. I still looked at everything, you know. I tried a bunch of stuff. But AMD, I think, uh, has some really great graphics cards and things like that. But, man, I, I hope to see them come out with some... I want to just see them crush. Just to mess things up. And I always like to see... I just I like to see companies just shake the industry up a little bit, you know. Keep, keep each other on their toes. You know, I want AMD to come back and say, Hey, look, we've got an i7 killer. And then Intel goes, Oh, man. Well, now we got to do something up them, you know, one up them, and it just makes for us consumers. I mean, that's the best possible thing you could have happen because it, what ends up happening is you get the best possible products, you get the best possible processors, you get the best possible everything because they are just going at it, and in the meantime, they're creating amazing products, right? So, anyway, going off topic a little bit here. I guess it's kind of just a little rant at the end. But I just wanted to throw AMD in there and talk about them a little bit and talk about how I haven't heard about them a whole lot lately. Uh, but, yeah, nonetheless, we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up. I want to thank you for listening to the Geek with Envy podcast. Again, this is episode four coming to a close. And as always, you can reach us at geekwithenvy.com. And we've got the new share buttons at the bottom of each post now. I encourage you to share. If you see an article you like, tell your friends about it. Let them know. Say, hey, man, this is pretty cool. And you guys have been doing that on the Facebook page, and I really appreciate that. But now we have uh, little links or little buttons at the bottom of each post that will help you share a particular post with your friends right from the page. Also, we have our social media buttons in the bottom right of our website. So you you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, Google+. There's also a uh, RSS feed, which is geekwithenvy.com slash feed. And you can put that into your favorite RSS feeder, and you can get all the latest updates from geekwithenvy.com right there in your RSS feed. So we're going to close this one out. Thank you again for all your likes and all your comments out there. Uh, please, if you have anything to say, I implore you to email me. Send me an email at richardvincenti at geekwithenvy.com. And once again, thank you for listening to the Geek with Envy podcast. 